Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Daily Attorney Podcast, where, as you know it, we talk to women attorneys all over the United States who are simply amazing at what they do inside, inside and outside of the legal profession. So our guest today I'm very, very excited about because she has an insane amount of accomplishments under her belt, and she is the founder of Johnson Legal Group, LLC, Shanika Johnson. Ms. Johnson has played a vital role in critical case wins for private firms and big governments in our states. Most recently, she even served alongside two of Maryland Attorney Generals as special counsel for former Maryland General Attorney Doug Gansler and current Maryland Attorney General Brian Fosch. Ms. Johnson has served as in-house counsel for the Prosperous Group, a real estate development company based in Baltimore, Maryland. In addition to lending her experience as counsel for the private sector, she's even served as counsel for nonprofit organizations. Most importantly, during Maryland's COVID-19 recovery, Ms. Johnson and her team led the way in interpreting and, excuse me, interpreting the ever-changing coronavirus regulatory and relief policies. As As a result, her firm led the pack in offering pandemic recovery solutions for clients. Ms. Johnson's accomplishments have been recognized in the the Oprah Winfrey Magazine, O. She has been featured in Baltimore Sun. She's been featured in the Capital Gazette, Maryland Matters, WBAL-TV 11, WMAR2 News, and WJZ 13. Ms. Johnson, that is quite an intro. I got tongue-tied there a couple of times. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to give a kudos to you for all of your accomplishments and for creating and nurturing this platform for attorneys to come together, have a safe space and share our experiences. Thank you. Thank you. It is such a pleasure. The amount of honesty that and the realness that we get on here, um, you know, from laughing your butt off to, you know, total tear jerkers. Um, It's just, it's been so amazing. And we're on episode 20 and I hope to do episode 2000 one day. Um, And I just, you know, thank you because I know our schedules are insane, right? So I always thank everyone when they come on here. We do it around lunchtime on purpose. Um, You know, people have their phones, they're tuning in 30 minutes, you know, we, we we can share some laughter and some wonderful experiences in that time. Um, and I know backstage we were talking and you asked if like I have a specific format and we, we just don't, it's you be you, right? Um, but one of the things that I really, really like to know is how did my guests um, end up where they are, right? Like, do you just wake up one day and say, mom, I'm gonna work with the attorney general, right? <laughs> how did you get here? How, how did you, what, what made you say law? Yeah, when I was about nine years old, Justice Thurgood Marshall passed. He died. And there were so many things commemorating his life and his accomplishments. People were uplifting his work as a trial attorney and as an appellate attorney. The cases he brought before the Supreme Court, obviously Brown versus Board of Education. But I grew up and I practiced in Annapolis, Maryland. And he had a number of cases that were significant in the state of Maryland. The case that he brought to bring integration to the University of Maryland Law School. He had a number of cases that were in Annapolis locally with our Anne Arundel County Board of Education to bring fair wages to Black teachers. 
So as I got to understand Justice Marshall's life and the impact that his advocacy had on the legal landscape, but also on the African-American community, it helped me to really understand the power of trial advocacy and the power of the legal profession, how it really does dip into and touch every aspect of everyone's life. Um, and particularly the ways that it can be impactful when you are a member of a disfranchised minority group. Um, and then I would say the second touchstone for me then happened when I was in middle school and we all were glued to the screens watching the OJ Simpson trial. Um, I remember when we would watch some portions of it when we were in class. Looking back on it now, I think, gosh, that was probably really inappropriate content for a bunch of middle school kids. It was. It was. It was. <laughs> Johnny Cochran was just such a standout, you know? He had such flair in his presentation. He was so artful with his vernacular, the way that he presented such complex evidence and things that really should have probably been intimidating and scary when you're a middle school kid, but he made it captivating and he drew you in and he really weaved together a story and got you invested. And I really was just hooked by then on wanting to be an attorney. So between those two just really influential attorneys being a part of popular culture and a part of my sphere of influence, it really drove me into the profession. And that is that is quite amazing. Every time I go to, I don't have too many cases in Annapolis, um, but every time I go there, I always look at the Thurgood mural that's on the wall. It is, it's just so beautiful. Um, as far as the O.J. Simpson trial, it's it's funny because I don't think anyone has ever realized that it wasn't appropriate, you know, for kids in middle school uh, to be watching something. I think I was actually in grade school at that time, if if I remember, probably middle school. But um, we were kind of we were just glued in. Yeah. You know, there was no wait. Should we be watching this? It was just this is current events. This is what you know what is on. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't look at a Bronco the same ever again, yeah. ever again. It's, really? it's the weirdest thing, right? And this was 20 years, 20 plus years ago, right? So true. Um, and it is kind of crazy. So, um, you know, you have this, uh, you know, historical fire behind you. Um, so how was it, you know, when things kind of came to a head in, um, you know, 2020 with coronavirus, like how were you dealing, um, you know, navigating everything? And have you kind of changed the way you practice in order to accom accommodate more virtual practicing lately? Yeah, so COVID kind of had a double impact on my practice. One was way, the way that I service my clients. So it was kind of that, you know, very real, what's the methodology of servicing people, attending court hearings virtually, building into my practice virtual access for clients and, you know, virtual forms and being able to, you know, pivot a lot of those things that we had built those relationships face to face and being able to do those things virtually as a practitioner. But the second was then helping to advise my clients on all those things that they were also making decisions about as well. They were figuring out what the rules were for them. What's my liability and my exposure as I engage clients? How do I figure out how to handle best practices? 
one of the large portions of my practice is advising landlords and tenants. And I always tell people that, you know, I, with the way that conflicts of interest run, it's really whoever gets to your door first, you know? <laughs> so I represent tenants and I represent landlords. And in that market, it was severely impacted by COVID-19. When you can't go and see a rental property, but you want to make sure the quality is there and you're relying on virtual walkthroughs, you're signing documents virtually, and then you're picking up keys from a lockbox and you've obligated yourself to a year, maybe more for a lease, the whole rental market was really an upheaval. And then we had a series of changes that happened regarding eviction moratoriums, eviction assistance. A lot of things really changed in the legal landscape for a lot of my clients, tenants and landlords. So it was helping them navigate an ever shifting, you know, road of compliance to make sure that on each side, people were doing what was necessary to maintain compliance with the law. Yeah. And that I think that was a scary time, definitely for landlords and, you know, for lessees, because, I mean, ultimately, um, individuals who are signing a lease, you don't know what this place looks like. It might look pretty. And we all know, you know, Zillow has a way of making things look a lot different than they actually do in person. Um, but, you know, like you said, when you get there and you realize, oh, my gosh, I can't unsign this lease. Um, I think that that's a, that's a huge deal. Um, I do uh, some work and I'm not sure if you work um, with MBLS. Um, I know that they said, I don't do any landlord tenant work. Um, I, I don't think I'm any good at it. I am always ready to save someone. Um, so if, if it was up to me, no one would get evicted. And, and I know that's a problem for a landlord. So my question to you is, you know, how do you kind of emotionally separate yourself from, you know, from a, a tenant that comes to you and says, hey, listen, this is what's going on. You know, they've been wrong. Um, or maybe in some cases, you know, they're wrong. Like, how do you kind of separate yourself to, to kind of see clearly? So here's the thing. I am really passionate about my client, whoever they are. So ah. when my client is the landlord, I am really passionate about protecting protecting their economic interests, protecting their investment, making sure that that property that they've worked hard to be able to hold out to tenants is available for the next family and the next tenant to make sure that they are able to get the value of what they thought would be a really good investment strategy. So, you know, I'm all in for my clients that are landlords. Well, when <laughs> you put it that way, yes. <laughs> It makes sense, right? <laughs> and then when my client is the tenant, I am all in for my client that's the tenant. It's, it's obvious, you know, this is a family. Nothing's more personal than home than feeling safe and secure in your home. We have, you know, so many legal doctrines where the underpinning of what you can do is different when it is in your home, you know, whether we're talking about privacy or safety or, you know, we really look at the home in the context of the law as a sacred space. So when I'm representing tenants, you know, I have that same passion for them too. So I've come to realize that whoever it is that I'm representing, I'm invested in their success. I, I absolutely love that. I never, ever, ever looked at it that way. You know, for me, it's like, oh, but 
but this is someone's home. You can't, you know, but ultimately, and I think, you know, Maryland has one of those laws um, that is, is sort of very black and white, right? The minute you are late, you're in the wrong. There are no excuses for you being late. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen it play out. Um, and that's why for me, it's just, I think for me, it's just a little too much heart incorporated in that. And I can't be impartial. There are just some areas of law, you know, some people just can't do Right. Um, and I, I made that, <laughs> I made up my mind a long time ago that that was kind of up there. Um, now let's, let's kind of pull back, um, you know, a little bit as far as, um, or rather go back to uh, coronavirus. And I understand that, you know, you provide different type of recover, different types of recovery solutions for your clients. What are some of uh, kind of just the running themes that you saw um, during that time? And how difficult has it been for you just personally, right? Um, to take care of yourself, navigate your firm, take care of your client and kind of just, you know, um, keep yourself from self-destructing, right? In a sense. Yeah. So I'll start with some of the, the good news, you know, some of the things that I incorporated that I hope to keep as permanent features of my practice include a lot of the virtual access. I have clients who I have never touched, you know, people who live in different states, people who live across the country, but they own property here in Maryland. And we've been able to virtually connect. We've had our meetings. Every meeting we've had has been virtual access. Every document they've signed for me has either been, you know, carried by one of our mail carriers through the mail or it's been virtually signed and we've been able to handle business they're safe and secure where they live, their properties here in Maryland, and I've been able to administer everything as an attorney here in Maryland. So I think that um, that feature I would really like for us to be able to keep. I think for attorneys and the way that business and commerce goes across state lines, I think those are some great opportunities that really open up you know, economies in different states to people from all across the country, where you can really get investment and buy-in from all sorts of people now that we have all kind of created and nurtured these virtual platforms. Um, so that's what I, one of the features that I think is really positive. Some of the things that the court has done by way of accessibility and adapting features as well. Some of the more intermediate steps that you take in a court case, like maybe a settlement conference, some of these things that we've done that don't have some of those more permanent features where you're deciding a matter with finality, but you're doing some of these intermediate steps, handling some of those things with virtual platforms have really saved our clients some money. If you don't have to pay my legal fees to get in the car, get there, park and sit in the hallway, wait to be called by the magistrate, have this hearing. But if I can click of a button in my office, take care of the same thing with much more efficiency and the efficiency for my clients, that clients who've had to get a sitter, you know, take a full day off of work to be able to schlep it to the courthouse downtown somewhere, struggle for parking. Now that we've created these efficiencies, I hope that some of them are permanent features of our court systems and permanent features of our practices as well. The flip side to that accessibility is that now that we've all become so accessible, finding the cutoff switch is increasingly difficult. You know, we've all kind of opened up personal access. I know that I have. Um, I have clients that I really enjoy. I get invested in my client's success. So I'll say, here's my personal number. Call me, text me, and I'll call. I'll text 10 o'clock at night. I'll return your text message. 
But yeah. now the cutoff switch with making sure that we can kind of separate our personal time and our practice time, I think becomes ever difficult with the way that we're practicing now. Even blending those lines between home office and adaptability for that, you know, making sure that we're able to divide that line to be able to protect our personal space and our personal time. I do think we'll have to kind of recalibrate there. I, I agree with you 1000%. You know, one of the things that I saw is that blur um, when we were all, you know, essentially working from home. Um, I never used to mind working from home. It was like, oh, I don't have to get up and do all this. It's it's fine. But to me, once it become kind of like an everyday thing, it, it just, it became too much because instead of you stopping at 3.34, it's 7, 8, 9, 10, right? And you're going. Um, and you wake up a little earlier because you say, oh, well, let me catch up on this. Let me catch up on that. So instead of you waking up at 7 a.m., you might wake up at 6. And so you're working more and unfortunately not taking care of yourself more, <laughs> you know, um, and not to mention you're not moving, yeah. right? You're not moving from the, the refrigerator in the office to the front door to go use the bathroom, to go downstairs and get some lunch. You're not doing any of that. You're just sitting. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I've, I've seen that also. As far as the courts go, um, I think it's very interesting. So Baltimore County has made it very clear um, that I believe in May, everything goes back to normal. Oh, wow. And we're just like, but, but. <laughs> um, and I mean, it, it comes at a good time when I'm no longer decide when I've made the decision not to practice family law anymore. Um, so me having to schlep into court more often, whew, thankfully that's coming to an end. Um, but with that said, for individuals like you who have a lot more, you know, court hearings, you're probably in court almost every day, yeah. right? Um, so to have to do that and not have the option of uh, remote, I think is very interesting. Harford County has not made that decision. All of the pretrial conferences are in person. Judge Carl wants us, he wants us there. Um, but as far as uncontested, it's still remote, but in Baltimore County, everything is going back to normal. Um, so it really just depend on the county, right? Um, but like you, I find that with clients, for them to not have to spend that extra six, $700, yep. it's such a relief. It is, and if, if, you know, as you represent landlords, for them to have to do that for every single tenant, every single time, it just the bills, you know, add up. Um, so it definitely creates uh, more access to the system too. For those landlords who may not have, you know, an X amount of uh, property versus someone else who has like an endless supply. Um, so, it, and, and it does help us, but it also means that we work more. So with that said, how do you take care of yourself? Cause I, that's a big thing for us. We do not as attorneys, especially as women, cause we want to do everything. How do you take care of yourself? Yeah, I have really great people in my life who, you know, they can kind of see the signs when I'm not taking care of myself. <laughs> and, um, they're really good at letting me know that it's time okay. to the pause button. Um, so I'm really thankful for my husband, my friends, my mom. I have really, really active, you know, people who are very close to me. I have folks that I check in with daily, obviously my husband. And, you know, mm -hmm. if things that, you know, were a, a long fuse become a short fuse, then he knows. 
<laughs> it's time to pull back. So he's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm I'm not on trial here. <laughs> so I'm thankful for those reminders to, you know, enjoy some of what you work hard for. Take a moment, get away, have some downtime. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How do you kind of prepare yourself um, mentally, like on a daily basis? Like if you know you have a crazy day, I look at my, I wake up, look at my calendar and I'm like, oh, okay, got to get up, you know, got to take an hour for myself in the morning because I know I'm not going to have it at all today. Like, how do you prepare yourself for your game day? Yeah, I probably don't have the best balance in life. Um, <laughs> I have a motto of I'm going to, you know, hit it hard while I can. And then I think that when I earn my retirement, I will have zero regrets about having as much rest as possible. You know, I won't be one of those people that retires and then is on 100 boards. I'm not going to retire and then get a second, you know, whole act. No, <laughs> when I get there, I'm going to be very comfortable and very, you know, settled being there. So uh, my motto is I try to get as much done as I can. And then when those opportunities present themselves to rest and recharge, I definitely take them. But when I'm looking at a busy day and I'm planning for stuff, to me, the relief is being able to check that many things off of my list to do. So for me, a day that's really full, that just means that that's five or 10 more things that I need to be able to move the ball forward that I can say job done. And I, I love that. I really love that. I'm, I'm working with a business coach and we're working on just celebrating the actual wins, right? Yeah. I don't know if you suffer from always seeing a glass half empty, you know, like I can some days. Thank you, mother, for that lovely inherited trait. Um, <laughs> I just, I see some days I come in here and I grind and I work, but then I look at the pile that's still undone and I'm looking at the pile that's still undone, right? Instead of looking at what I've accomplished. Um, so how do you kind of keep yourself from, from, you know, going down that rabbit hole? Yeah, I think my personality, and I think it lends itself to the legal practice too. I think I naturally am a person that's always looking at the next challenge, at the next yeah. thing that's ahead. And I think that kind of forward-looking perspective, it kind of keeps me leaned in and engaged in what's ahead of me. So I'm really thankful for that because in the law, you can take it in the teeth some days, you know? You can try your hardest and you can come up against a judge that for whatever reason, they're not seeing it for you on that day. And you can walk out of court and you can really feel, you know, very kicked and defeated. So I think the fact that I have this internal drive that keeps me really focused on what's next, what's next has really served me well because when I've done great, I haven't, you know, developed the personality that's made it so that I didn't want to keep working hard. It didn't right. make me say, oh, I've got it all together. Right. I wanted to keep going. And when I've had days that have been tough days, it didn't keep me stuck in those tough days. It really has, you know, said, keep going forward. Yeah. And and I think that is important. Um, you know, all lawyers from at least from my experience have type A personality. <laughs> right. We are all just let's go. We got to get this done. Boom, 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 boom. Um, but, you know, one thing I'm learning, though, is to celebrate. Yeah. Um, I am so quick to celebrate other people's wins. That's true. Um, 
but you know, needing to celebrate your own, no matter how big or small, I think is so important um, for us as brown women and just us as humans in general. Um, so that that's you know one of the things that I've learned. Um, as this comes to a close, I really, really, really want to ask you, um, what impact do you hope to have, you know, on your clients and on your community um, at the end of this lovely journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I remember when I first went to college, I went for a major that wasn't anything related to the law. I remember after having all of this inspiration and really wanting to be an attorney, having that last minute doubt and thinking, can I do that? You know, every person that was an attorney in my city was not a black girl with hoop earrings and curly hair. They looked the exact opposite of that. So my last minute doubt led me to second guess my ability and choose something that I thought was more attainable for me. And it didn't take long for me to say, forget that, and to take the chance on myself of going into a major that would position me for law school. So I hope that me being an attorney and being in this field gives somebody else the confidence to not make that stutter step, but to go right after what it is that they really want to do and they're really inspired and positioned to do. Because Black people need attorneys too. And we hire attorneys, we are subject to the law, we need the benefits, rights, privileges, and protections of the law. Sometimes we need it the most. And we need attorneys who can speak to us and represent us with passion and compassion. So I hope that as we are inspired by Justice Katandri Brown, inspired by our Vice President Kamala Harris, as we are hearing and digesting these different names, that somebody will see Shanika Johnson as an attorney, and they will understand that this profession is wide open for everyone who has the inclination. Well, I have nothing to say. This is it. <laughs> I am not going to follow that up with anything because you just Michelle Obama the crap out of this question, and it it gave me goosebumps. I'm done. Where can people find you, Ms. Shanika Johnson? <laughs> Thank you so much. I love this platform. I love that you have created this. This Thank is you. really fantastic. I it's wish I years could in the making. Yeah. Years in the making. I I was so I was so afraid, like you just said, of just stepping out and just being and showing people this is me. I'm goofy. I'm happy. I'm you know, all these things. I'm a mom, but I'm also a zealous, zealous advocate and I'm a kick-ass attorney. I just didn't want anybody to see it. Um, and then one day I was like, wait, but why not me? You know, and I just put it out there and it has been life-changing. Just meeting people like you, um, interacting with you, and just doing the work that we do and just seeing the positive influence that it has had on people. It's like, oh my gosh, I need, I need 10 shows. Give me all the shows. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on here. Um, and I really want people to find you, man. Like this is just so amazing. Thank you, Tanae. Tanae is a good friend. She's also an attorney. Um, she's, She's an amazing human. Um, and where can clients find you if they want to, you know, 
reach out to your firm or if they have any questions. Thank you. You can find Johnson Legal Group at jlgroupattorneys.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms at JL Group Attorneys on Facebook, JL Group Attorneys on Instagram. You can give us a call 410-297-1902. I'd be happy to connect over your legal issues and see how we can help. Well, thank you again, Ms. Johnson, for being on here. I am your host, Marie Eve G. Baptiste. Please follow, like, and subscribe the St. Eve Law Firm. Like Ms. Johnson, we are on all social media platforms. And, you know, reach out to us, 443-707-8692, if you have any questions. And with that said, thank you again. We just wrapped up episode number 20. And um, looking forward to more. Thank you, everybody. Bye, Shanika. Bye.